Hello and welcome to 201X Best Games of the Decade, where we talk about the best games that came out in the past 10 years, year by year. I am Jared, also known as Ja, and I am here with Christina, also known as Pop-Tart. Hello. And here with Mikey, also known as Keylock. What's up? Yes, and for each year of this decade, we will drill down the top 10 games of that year. Uh, this episode, we're going to be covering the best games of 2013. And I'd like to welcome back anybody who's been listening so far. We're a couple episodes in, so uh, thanks for listening so far. Either Hopefully, you're enjoying the show and not hate listening. But we appreciate it either way. Hate listen or enjoying the show. No, please hate listen. I, I live off that shit. That's, that's what gets me fuel every morning because the only people are hate listening. It's the only reason he wakes up and gets out of the bed every day. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and I'd like to welcome any new listeners. Uh, if you guys uh, enjoy the show and you want to keep up with what we're doing, you can follow us on the MASH Network on Twitter, but also feel free to join us on Discord at discord.me slash mash those buttons and share your thoughts, especially if you're a hate listener. Those are the most interesting ones. <laughs> <laughs> but before we get into our top 10 for 2013, I just want to explain the lock-in system for anybody that's new. Uh, you know... Reviews are subjective, and lists like this are always subjective, but we're just being upfront about it. So, uh, yeah, for the a system that we put in place when we were picking our games is each host had an opportunity to pick a game from the year and lock it into the top 10. Uh, they're not locked into a specific space, but they at least make it into the top 10, so they at least make it on the list. We will announce those picks as they come up, so you guys know which ones were lock-ins and which ones weren't. So uh, with that, we're going to go ahead and get into number 10. Best games of 2013, number 10, Injustice. How do you defeat an evil Superman? Easy. Make everyone as powerful as Superman. With Injustice, Gods Among Us, NetherRealm and DC established a great new fighting game franchise with fresh mechanics while also staying true to the greatest of DC's heroes and villains to create a great in-game story that was accompanied by a successful line of comics. All right, at number 10, we have Injustice. I'm not a huge, I'm not, I am, I mean, I like fighting games, but I'm just, I'm obviously, I'm, I'm not a huge fighting game player because I'm free, right? Like I, I know I'm free. I'm not. I will not beat anybody in multiplayer. But I, I mean, I really got to admit, when I, I played Injustice, I actually only picked it up because it was like a it was on PlayStation Plus for free, and I downloaded it on a Saturday night, nothing else to do, and I played the entire thing straight through. I played the campaign straight through. It was a, it was a good game with a good campaign, which says a lot for fighting games. But I mean, it's NRS, so they also did a good job with the Mortal Kombat 11 campaign. I'm pretty sure Mike can. Can actually give you better reasons why this is number 10 on the list. <laughs> I mean, they gave us a DC fighting game that didn't suck for one. Like, <laughs> they didn't give us Mortal Kombat versus DC again. That was a bonus. Um, th so, this is the fighting game after Mortal Kombat 9. They obviously learned a lot from MK9. They learned what worked, what didn't. Uh, they also figured out how to tell a good... They finally told a good story in this game. So good that the comics are still running. Like, it's just... It's got a really good storyline. Everyone respects the hell out of this game for its story uh, way. And, I mean, NetherRealm's been basically copying the formula ever since and improving upon it. 
the char- the roster was really good for this game. This game suffered early from a bit of projectile spam, but it kind of fixed itself a bit. There were also some broken characters and some broken traits with some of the characters, like Aquaman's uh, slippery armor or whatever. Like, if you had it on, you would fall out of combos or something like that. It was weird. There were some weird character choices in this game. Well, not character choices, but character trait options in this game. Uh, It was was just a really solid fighting game, and they did it right, and it was very impressive for the time. Like, NRS seemed to be getting their shit together and really amping up. Yeah. And in terms of the story, I actually think the reason one of the reasons the stories are so good is because it's a DC, you know, uh, property, right? And I don't think NRS came up with the story. I think they went to DC and DC came up with the story because, I mean, they wrote five years worth of comic books about it. Yeah. <laughs> you know, at least. And the story, it, I mean, Injustice, the comic series, uh, is, one of my, I've, is one of the best comic series I have ever read. It's actually really good for people who hate Superman. Like you'll, yeah, you'll, you'll love this one. That's me. But it's actually, that's <laughs> me. <laughs> Everybody hates Superman. He's I, so I don't get OP. It. Like, like it's just boring. Such a boy you know, scout. Like, I just, yeah, that too. Like it's just a fucking goody two shoes. Except like, for in like, this story, you know. Yeah, which is great because <laughs> like. No. I mean, I don't know. I don't want to spoil too much. Well, it's been this. How long has it been? Well, it's six. I, I would still. I, I still wouldn't spoil it. It's that. It's good. true. It is that it. good. It is that good. But I think it the is comic good. is like, if not the best, one of the best selling comics out there because of how good that story was. Yeah. Yeah. I, I can see it. Yeah, I mean, that's the story can only make sense because the writers knew everything about every character involved, you know? Like, well, Wonder Woman's damn near invincible, but how would you, like, how would you kill her? And they found, they found, she doesn't die, don't get me wrong, because obviously she's in Injustice, but they found a way where she, like, almost died. I'm like, yo, that is fucking genius. Like, like, you know, like... (laughs) Yeah, they they found basically ways to make their OP bullshit characters not so OP bullshit, basically. Right. Yeah, like you really get answers like, well, what happens if this person fights this person, like this hero versus this hero? Right, like how are they going to make Harley Quinn actually like be able to go toe-to-toe with like Superman or some bullshit like that? And they kind of explain that off, so. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So like because of the story of the game, like because they were able to write such a good story, especially in the comics, right, that transfers over to the game so it doesn't feel stupid when Batman is fighting Superman toe to toe, like it makes sense and it makes the game just feel a lot better. So yeah, Injustice was good. I, I I really did enjoy it. The DLC characters were fun too. Like there were some cool ones. Like yeah. Zatanna. I don't know why yeah. I said it that way. I just <laughs> wanted to <laughs> Somewhat, some DC uh, fan out there is gonna like kill me later for that, but I don't care. <laughs> <laughs> All right, guys, let's go ahead. We're going to move into number nine. Best games of 2013, number nine. Animal Crossing New Leaf. The Animal Crossing franchise is best known as a life simulator where you start a new life in a town filled with anthropomorphic animals. Animal Crossing New Leaf not only lives up to that tradition, but adds many new features. 
such as making you the mayor of your town and allowing you to customize the town on a whole new level while bringing it back to where it belongs on a handheld device. It's easy to lose track of time just trying to find that one fish or bug or just enjoying your time on Tortimer Island. All right, coming in at number nine, Animal Crossing New Leaf. This is a lock-in from Christina. I'm just going to give it to you because I have never touched an Animal Crossing game. So What? I'm not surprised. Do you think it's, <laughs> it's John, so relaxing? I have one question. Uh, have you ever played The Sims? I have played The Sims. How have you played The Sims but not Animal Crossing? Have how have I played The Sims but not Animal Crossings? Yeah. Okay, so I played The Sims. I'll tell you why I stopped playing The Sims. But like maybe oh, that man. that's that, that's a bit. I stopped playing The Sims because I essentially made myself and I lived the same life that I lived outside in the game. That's I will literally like go to work, go to the gym, come home, play games, go to sleep, wake up, go to work, go to the gym, come home, play games. That's what I was doing. You know, it's supposed to be sense. a fantasy where you live whatever life you want to, right? Exactly. And just, God damn it. All <laughs> right. That's when I realized I was living the life that I wanted to. So I didn't need the Sims for that. Oh, my goodness. Oh my God. All right. Anyways, Animal Crossing. I mean, Animal Crossing, you can't, you know go to the gym and all that stuff but know, chopping chopping wood yo you <laughs> do chop wood so animal crossing new leaf was a great addition to the animal crossing family the big thing that animal crossing benefits from especially with new leaf is being handheld so when they went to city folk they left a lot of stuff that they couldn't implement in the game because it's not handheld don't get me wrong, it goes the other way because it's handheld, so there's a lot of stuff that you can't put from the console game into it, but they did it so well. They made you the mayor of your town so you can actually customize the town how you want to customize it. Um, and you can like add like different buildings and like benches and bridges, which is really annoying when you can't cross a bridge or have to run like all the way around. You're like, oh, this is my path, so I'm going to put a bridge here. Uh, the game is beautiful, too. The music, oh, my gosh. I listen to the music, like, remixes all the time, and it's so good. It's just the feeling of being in that world. Um, they also added an island. I don't know. They didn't have the islands in the other ones. I think it was just rumors. I can't remember 100%. But, like, the island that you went to had a bunch of mini games, And because it was handheld, you could go take your DS wherever and play the mini games with your friends, but it was also online. So you didn't have to go and take your DS to be with your friends. You could also play it online. So I just, I love me some animal crossing, man. If you've never played that game, you should. It's super relaxing. If anybody walks up to me and says, what do you do in animal crossing? I'd be like, I don't know. Cause I do a bunch of stuff from like fishing to bug catching. It's relaxing. Honestly, this is probably the best Animal Crossing to at least until the Switch version comes out. We'll have to see. But like this is probably the best Animal Crossing specifically because it's portable. Like the fact that that shit you can take with you wherever you go. That shit's addicting. Like I knew people who would take that to work with them all the time. And like during lunch breaks or breaks, they'd be all up in their shit trying to like fix all their stuff or go gather things and make more bells so they could get more shit. Like it was... It was ridiculous. Like, and it was, yeah. That's the thing about Animal Crossing, though, is it's not a game where you, like, 
sit down on the couch and prepare yourself and you're like, oh, I'm going to play this like 15 hour spurt of this game. I mean, I do that with Animal Crossing, but that's not how the game's meant to be played. It, it plays more like a mobile game where you check in on it every few hours to see what's going on in the world. Like, OK, there's new fish out or this villager is active at this time or whatever. And that's why it's really good handheld. So that very good choice to bring it back to the 3DS and not the Wii U. Hmm. I'll take your word for it. <laughs> Play the new one. Be one of us. Uh, one of us. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe give it to your girlfriend. Maybe she'd like it. I don't know. But then secretly sexist, play it. Mike. <laughs> But then oh, secretly, secretly play, play it. Yeah. <laughs> You're like, hey, honey, I got you this gift. And then you just play it while she's not looking or something. I don't know. No, I'm, I'm not afraid to play it. <laughs> uh, I just, there's just so much other stuff to play. You're not wrong. <laughs> it, it has that <laughs> Minecraft effect to me where, like, I'll just play. Like I said, I can't explain what I'm doing. I'll just play it for hours at a time. It's those one more games where you're like, oh, I'll stop playing once I do this one more thing. And then you do that one more thing. You're like, oh, I can do this one more thing. And it just, it never ends. Yeah, see, I do that. But when I'm programming stuff, that's that's how I end up staying up to four o'clock in the morning. Same thing. <laughs> Animal Crossing, programming, you know. I mean, that's me and Soul Calibur right now. It's always like one more match. And it's like 12 o'clock in the morning. And I'm like, Fuck. <laughs> <laughs> All right, we're going to go ahead and move into number eight. Best games of 2013, number eight. Final Fantasy XIV, A Realm Reborn. Final Fantasy XIV launched in 2010 as Square Enix's next attempt to build a massive multiplayer online game after Final Fantasy XI. That launch was a complete failure, but Square Enix did not lose hope and rebuilt the game. Three years later, Final Fantasy XIV A Realm Reborn debuted and Square Enix had their successful MMO launch. It hit massive numbers almost immediately and is thriving so well today some claim it is the number one MMO on the market. Okay, coming in at number eight, Final Fantasy XIV. I actually did play this one for a little bit. I enjoyed it. But I I just couldn't keep up with it because there was no PvP. That's my end game. Like rating is not my end game. PvP is my end game. And there was no good PvP at the time. So Well, good news is there's no good PvP now. I mean, yeah, we have <laughs> PvP. It's just not it's used to get the pretty armor. That's the only reason you do PvP. Yeah, well, that's what I'm saying. Like, that's how I knew it was a good game because I was enjoying myself playing it, but I knew I would never like play it like for the long run because there was no decent PvP. There was no reason for me to keep playing yeah. the game. FF14 is definitely a PvE experience for the most part, and it excels at PvE. Like it does right. raid content, like all that content so well. Mm -hmm. It's the only MMO that's really challenging WoW in terms of subscribers. So yeah. And they came out with the Shadow expansion first, so. They did. I've been arguing with people on Twitter. They're like, everybody's doing it. I'm like, we did it first. <laughs> yeah, exactly. We, but what's funny is we're the Warriors of Darkness going into a land filled of light. Like, it's weird. I don't know. Uh, That's okay. Don't spoil the story. That's for like a few years from now. Um, but when 2.0 comes out, and I call it 2.0 because Final Fantasy XIV tried to come out in 2010 and or 11 or something like that it did not 
do well. So it bad. Looks it was, like. I, I was looking at videos. It looks like Final Fantasy XI with kind of upgraded graphics. Like, how can you mess that up? But combat was bad. (laughs) Everything was bad. Like, we don't we don't have to talk about how bad it was. The good thing about it, though, (laughs) the only can we talk about though how they killed the world in like the best way possible? That's what I was gonna say. So I actually watched a video today. because if you didn't know, 1.0 rolls into the 2.0 lore. They literally destroyed the world and you come into 2.0 like five years later trying to rebuild the world that was destroyed in the Calamity five years ago. And they ended the game with this like orb in the sky. Like people were just watching it. And as soon as the servers cut off, it played the now intro video for 2.0. Where you see yep. like the war and everything. I think they even did things where like mobs were spawning in safe spots, like in, in yep. towns and stuff. And yep. they killed it very well. <laughs> uh-huh. But 2.0 excelled in literally everything. The only thing that they kept the same was like some of the towns. They remixed all of the music, like the base jobs, but they like rehauled that whole game. And it still looks pretty today. Uh, it is definitely the glow up of the century, I want to say. Yeah, I mean, 14 was actually, I think, like, it was hurting Square financially for a while. Like, it was not looking good for Square. And then they rebooted it, and it just, like, took right off. Everyone was jumping back on. Everyone liked it, and it literally, like, started making money again. Like, that. that's... That's how good FF14 was. It basically forgave that massive mistake and we're still riding that train. Well, so they had like half a million subscribers in like October, like by October of like the year that it came out. So that's like what? Like it came out July or August or something. That's only a few months. So they got a lot of people like apparently they Mm -hmm. made Square Enix profitable in 2014 when they were struggling in 2013. Yep. So. Also, like, they actually did a good console MMO. Like yes. I have people play that. I have friends in our guild that play on PS4, and they do it. They play better than some people playing mouse and keyboards. So, I mean, they're doing fine on a controller. The so. controller is really interesting how they utilize it, too. I could go on about this forever, but, like, Well, that's you why you have do- a podcast. I do have a podcast. Come check it out. It's Wondrous Tales. Where was I? Number one on Spotify. It is one number one <laughs> on Spotify. Number one on Spotify. Thank you. Uh, <laughs> she works hard. She's allowed to brag. Um, <laughs> kind of hard. Kind of hard. Yeah. yeah. Um, if you want to, like, I know this isn't like mash those buttons content, but No Clip did a great documentary series on Final Fantasy fourteen. If you're ever just like want to see it, like hit that shit up. Um. But yeah, no, 14, like, it's hard to, like, it's, it's hard to just, like, keep praising it with being, like, as generic as we are, but, like, literally, it's just, like, it did everything right, so I don't know, except for, like, a few things. I will say, I try to play through the two, the 2.0 story, or not play through it, because it's not New Game Plus, but I try to watch yeah. it in the end. It's really, really bad. It does not hold up today. They're reworking no. 2.0. It's awful because anytime I'm like, play Final Fantasy and people play like 
right away. I'm like, uh, well, wait, just wait until they update yeah. it. Cause I, I, I either say, question. I know it's just hard for me to tell people to skip 2.02 because there's a lot that happens in the story. So I don't want them to skip it. I don't know. Cause they, yeah. then they don't get the attachment to the characters, but 2.0 in 2019 is really hard to like recommend people go through. They're, they're updating it soon. It doesn't, it's fine. Yeah. It'll be fine. Just wait. <laughs> Okay, so now you guys done fawning over that? Can we move uh, on? I mean, you're considering the next game that's about to happen. We're you're we're fine. You can you can yep. now continue. <laughs> yep, my time to shine. We're moving on to number seven. Best games of 2013. Number seven, StarCraft II: Heart of the Swarm. StarCraft II: Heart of the Swarm built off the momentum of Wings of Liberty, improving visuals features, and introducing new units and maps that invigorated the multiplayer experience. While keeping the bar high for top-level play, Heart of the Swarm was also more accessible to newer players. New modes helped players learn unit matchups and scenarios, resulting in this entry being less intimidating than prior StarCrafts. In an age where DLC had replaced traditional expansions, Blizzard showed that expansions weren't dead yet. Alright, coming at number 7, StarCraft 2. Heart of the Swarm, this was my lock-in. There was no way this game was not making this list. It is the best of the Star out of the StarCraft II series. Unfortunately for Legacy of the Void, it wrapped up the, like, you know, Heart of the Swarm wraps up the best storyline in StarCraft, in my opinion, which is the Raynor, Minx, Kerrigan storyline. Um, you know, for those who don't know what that is, Kerrigan became what she is because... Minx left her on a planet. Uh, that was a trap. Well, I'm a guy. I don't want to get too deep into it, but yeah, it was it was pretty intense. It was actually a really good cinematic in um, uh, was it uh, Wings of Liberty that shows you what happened, but in 3D and all cool and shit. But either way, the game itself, right? So, like I said, in terms of StarCraft II, it was the best of the series, uh, in my opinion. Uh, they greatly. As much as you can improve graphics in an RTS, they did it. This was a Zerg-focused um, expansion. So a lot of the stuff with the Zerg, a lot of the detail with the Zerg was expanded. Like the creep. Like creep is alive. That's the purple stuff you see on the ground when the Zerg are around. Creep is alive. So like it's basically, it's like you're moving on top of a living object when you are moving across it. And when it's spreading across, uh, you know, the land and stuff like that. So they made major improvements there. Uh, the cinematics were phenomenal. Um, oh man, what else can I say? That's just from a StarCraft fan perspective, right? From an actual gameplay perspective, there's you can replay this game over and over again because there are so many different mutation combinations for your units, right? Uh, just kind of like with... Um, uh, wings of liberty where you can choose make different decisions and choose different paths and various things will happen uh like for example in wings of liberty your entire last mission can be different because of a decision you make in the mission before that mm. right cool and actually that that mission is different actually yeah i actually i don't want to get too deep into that either i could talk about this for a really long time folks but <laughs> um <laughs> with uh with heart of the swarm you do still make decisions. It doesn't necessarily change the levels that you're playing, but it changes the types of units that you play with, which actually 
you'll go to the same areas, but your strategies can be different depending on uh, what you know um, what mutations you pick. So basic zerglings, right? You can choose to either make them even faster; they're already fast units, or you can choose to give them wings and they can fly over stuff. Uh, and so that can change; that completely changes your tactics. Uh, there were some boss fights in this game, and some people had a had. I, I heard some negative things about that, but I never really had a problem with the boss fights. Uh, from a StarCraft fan perspective, especially as somebody, because Zerg was my primary race. That's what I played. And the level of detail that they get into how the Zerg work, what their motivations are, uh, how they evolve, and how it's not random. Like, there is an actual being that, like, is in charge of that for the Zerg in terms of making them evolve. Um if you play Heroes of the Storm, Abathur, that's it's that guy. Um, yeah, it's I, I just I couldn't get enough of this game. I was already playing Wings of Liberty all the way up until Heart of the Swarm came out, and then I mean when Heart of the Swarm came out, I was easily that was like my Saturday, like during the day most of the time that was my Saturday. <laughs> you know, like that's that's what I did while you know in between you know maybe working on some other stuff, but it was it was great. I really really like that game and like i said the, the the only bad thing about it is that it wraps up the best storyline in starcraft so this is the last starcraft game you're going to see on one of these lists at least for me like i can't imagine one of these two are going to suggest legacy of the void no. <laughs> yeah they're saying no, no. right no now. way yeah you so are, like this or, yeah yeah because legacy of the void like the story if you're a starcraft fan the story, the end of the story is going to upset you. And it, that was a tough game for me to play through. It took me months to beat Legacy of the Void. I beat this game. I beat Heart of the Swarm, I think, over the weekend when it came out. So, yeah, they, they did an excellent job with it. And uh, I think it deserves to be on the list. But um, let's go ahead and move into number six. Best games of 2013, number six. Fire Emblem Awakening. Fire Emblem Awakening did not disappoint fans of the series. It managed to refine its already excellent turn-based strategy formula to the delight of existing players, while also finding ways to make it accessible for new players. It keeps you engaged from start to finish and had players asking for more. All right, number six, Fire Emblem Awakening. I'm pretty sure this was Mike's lock-in. Yeah, I think it was. Yeah. Uh, there's no way in hell this game wasn't making on the list because this game literally saved Fire Emblem and has turned Fire Emblem into the crazy fucking shit that it is now. Uh, this game was literally supposed to. Nintendo told basically the team like, "Hey, if this doesn't work, this is it." Like, this was basically like the Final Fantasy of like for Fire Emblem, basically. Uh, so they threw everything they fucking could at it. Like, they basically like. They added romances. They added like all the accompaniments. They've added all the new tactics, the grouping. They they overhauled the shit out of this game to make people like it. The story was pretty good for, you know, being anime tropey and involving time travel. It's really hard to use time travel and it not suck. That's all I'm going to say. Like, but the combat, the, the turn based tactics were really good. The uh, being able to basically 
be change your characters into almost any job you want and have them learn skills and build like the ultimate team was pretty cool. The street passes of like when you pass by another person with fire emblem, like you would have their team on the map and you could go fight them and level up and you could buy stuff from their store. They, they just went, they went all out for this game and kudos to that team because honestly, if they didn't, we might not be, we might not have had fire emblem fates, fire emblem, Echoes and Fire Emblem Three Houses that now everybody loves for some. I mean, some people love it. I, I what you're looking? Oh, I'm getting dirty looks. I yeah, getting dirty looks for me. This isn't the year to talk about that. This is fair. Anyways, Fire Emblem Awakening literally is what saved Fire Emblem, and there's no way in hell it doesn't deserve to be on this list. Okay. And with that, we're going to go ahead and move into number five. (laughs) If you're an athlete, you know the greatest motivator of all is the fear of letting your teammates down. After all, a team is only as good as its weakest link. So you owe it to those wearing the same jersey as you to be your best every time you step on the field. That's why there's no vape in team. When you vape, you can expose your lungs to toxic chemicals that can damage your lungs. If you're a step behind, the team's a step behind. Brought to you by The Real Cost and the FDA. This episode is brought to you by Reese's Peanut Butter Cups. In breaking news, leading scientists worldwide are conducting experiments to determine if Reese's Peanut Butter Cups are the perfect combination of peanut butter and chocolate. However, it appears the study was inconclusive, as the scientists couldn't help but eat all the Reese's. Because when you want something sweet, you can't do better than Reese's. Find Reese's now at a store near you. Best Games of 2013, number five, Tomb Raider. Tomb Raider rebooted the series, putting players in the shoes of a younger Lara Croft. Tomb Raider perfectly balanced action, stealth, and exploration, always making it a joy to play and moving at the player's own pace. This game will be remembered by many for the brutality displayed when Lara would fail to clear an obstacle. Trust us, you'll want to get it right the first time. Alright, coming in at number 5, Tomb Raider, the reboot Tomb Raider. Excellent reboot of the franchise. And it is, out of all three, like, is it my favorite? I don't know. I, I, I think I think the second one's the best one, but this one was an excellent reboot, especially because they so it's funny, right? How how things work. Uncharted was Tomb Raider, but with a dude, right? And now Tomb Raider is Uncharted, but with a chick. <laughs> like that's what it is. Like basically they took they took uh they took the lessons they learned like that were learned from Uncharted. And basically put them into Tomb Raider, and in my opinion, even uh, I want to say improved on them a little bit. Like, I do enjoy the combat of Tomb Raider more than I enjoy the combat of Uncharted. Uncharted is definitely way more cinematic. I will tell you that much. Uncharted is way more cinematic than Tomb Raider, uh, any of them. But still, they took a lot of the lessons and put it into this game. I mean, the game starts immediately, right? Like you have the opening cinematic, and after the opening cinematic the game has started like you know you're upside down and you have to free yourself uh you know from being upside down and the one of the first things you do is fall to the ground and kind of show you how pain works in this game like they're not really 
uh, sugarcoating anything. Anytime something happens to Laura in this game, it looks like it hurts. It looks it, it looks mm, bad. Sometimes to a bad point, though. Like some of the kills that she dies in is just not not. It's not good, yo. Like there's a, like there's well, one death that I, isn't good. <laughs> There's one that I can think of, and I didn't play through this game. I mostly just watched people play it, which I should, because it's a really good game, and I know that. It is a really good game, yeah. But, like, first off, throughout this whole game, like, just watching people play it, I'm like, wow, I feel so bad for her, because she just gets shat on the entire game. But there's one death that I I know where she's going down the river sequence. Oh, yeah. yeah. Mm. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Mm. And it's one of the reasons why I don't think the third Tomb Raider is as great. Because, like, they definitely toned all that down. Like, the pain stuff, the death stuff, they toned it all down. And it's actually easier, too. So, like, it did, yeah, it's not the same thing. Like, if you get, like, mauled by a jaguar in the new Tomb Raider, you just kind of fall over and die. Versus if it was in the first Tomb Raider, they would have showed the jaguar, like, tearing you to pieces. You know? Yeah. So. It, it. I think because Laura just looks... It's different in this game than it is like in Mortal Kombat because Lord knows we just like kill people left and right in Mortal Kombat in gruesome right. ways. But it's more like comedy in Mortal Kombat. It's just fucking like brutal in Tomb Raider well, for some reason. They, I think, in the, but that's part, it was part of the point because they wanted to show that she was unexperienced, like she was not the Laura Croft that you know. Right. She is just she was still she's still in school. She's still studying. This is probably like one of her first expeditions alone. You know, like she it, it just is. She is unexperienced. She's going to make mistakes. She's going to get hurt. And she does. And as you progress throughout the game, she becomes way more proficient. Now, I w- there is a jump, right? She does jump from being scared and running away from a guy in a tunnel to getting headshots with a bow and arrow. But that's gaming, right? <laughs> you know, <laughs> that's just what there, it is. Yeah. there. It's like, oh, I killed. The- and then like an hour later, it's just like, I just mowed this whole village down. Don't care. Um, oh yeah! Like, like after you get after you get your first kill, it's like oh my god, I can't believe what I did. Well, let's do it again and again. Another one. Yeah. Another one. Yeah. <laughs> like that. It's yeah, a she little, turns into a killing machine. Little like mm, maybe shouldn't have done this so quickly of a turn, but all right, but, I get that well, game. Yeah. Well, the thing is, like, I it is the one side of that where it's like okay, well, maybe they shouldn't have did it so fast. But at the same time, it's one of the great things about the game because the game, like the 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 action doesn't really stop if you don't want it to unless you explore, which I do recommend exploring because you'll find extra parts and you'll find new weapons and you'll find, uh, you know, tombs to raid, you know, stuff like that. You, you, you know, you'll find tombs to raid and puzzles and I know. stuff like that. And actually, the tombs are some of the best parts of the game. Like there's some of the best puzzles like in the game. They are. They are like, they're not like, they're not like dumb easy, <laughs> you know. As thing, like you do have to think. You got to use the brain a little bit. Uh, but like, yeah, I mean, if you just want to, like, kind of move through the game and like and play it like an action game or play it like more like it's Uncharted, you can do that. They give you that option. Uh, there's not a lot of slowdown in the game at the time. It looked, uh, yeah, yeah, at the time because I did play it a couple months ago and it's aging. But at the time, it looked really good. The way they used lighting was really, really good. The sound design works really well. Uh, if you want to know what a broken hip sounds like, you will find out. <laughs> you know, um, Tomb Raider combat is actually usually not 
something that you look forward to in a Tomb Raider game. It's just kind of something. It's like it's filler, right? It's just filler, you know. And this game, like they did an excellent job with the combat. The combat is not trash at all. Uh, both stealth uh, combat, you know, stealth elements, and when you actually is like, oh, they found me out. Time to uh, to shoot some heads. Like that's it's all it's all great. It's it's really good. I, it was an excellent reboot, and fully deserves to be on this list. And Rise of Tomb Raider. We'll see, I have to see what year that came out. We'll see if that comes if that comes on the list. But uh, yeah, this was definitely there. It, it 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 was up there for especially for this year. It was great. So, all right, let's go ahead and move into number four. Best games of 2013. Number four, The Last of Us. If the cinematic style of Uncharted wasn't enough. Naughty Dog cemented themselves as narrative and gameplay masters with The Last of Us. Despite a horde of zombie games rushing the market, The Last of Us emerged as one of the finest, mixing action, stealth, survival, and story into a compelling experience. The excellent voice acting alone, along with the tense atmosphere, pulls you into this post-apocalyptic world, and whether it's love or hate, you will have feelings about the characters by the end of this journey. Alright, coming in at number four... The Last of Us. Now, I managed to push Journey back. <laughs> but not this one too much. Because I, I, I'm going to be flat out honest. I, um, this game for me, it, w- it would have been like a, like a 7 out of 10, 6 out of 10 in terms of gameplay. Because my heartstrings don't go into the equation <laughs> on, on, on these lists for the most part. So... But go ahead. I'll relinquish it to the fans. It's The Last of Us. That's not a reason. (laughs) (laughs) Story is good. The world is very interesting. Combat is a bit lacking when it comes to shooting. The stealth mechanics were fine, except for there were some rooms where clickers where I was like, really? You're going to make me go through this? And then I was like, okay, fine, whatever. Um really like the story sells this game the world sells this game it's very dark it's very bleak it was very interesting for its time on the story it was trying to tell as it not if you watch the walking dead or any other zombie <laughs> zombie-esque uh it was interesting i don't want to spoil the ending um it's- actually go, go ahead what, what, I'm not, I don't want to spoil the ending either, but it's actually one of the reasons what, that cemented my dislike for the game. <laughs> yeah, I don't like the ending. Yeah. I I think a lot of people don't like the ending, and I think I know why a lot of people don't like the ending, but the ending is interesting because of... Basically, it flips your perspective on the whole fucking game, in a sense. Not mine, because all the ending does is prove that Joel is an asshole. Which is part of the flipping the perspective of playing. He was an asshole the whole game. Playing, (laughs) but you were playing the hero. So flipping it, anyways, we're not going to get into. I would, I would, I would never call him a hero. I would, I wouldn't have called him a hero that entire game. Okay. (laughs) I yeah. Would you, uh, anyway, we're not going to get into this because then I'm going to bring up like spec ops and be like, are you the hero there? And you didn't see that and like blah, blah, blah. But anyways, um, it, it, it was Naughty Dog 
the visuals were good for PS4. It like you can or P- PS3. sorry PS3. Sorry, I'm talking about. The, I was thinking about the remastered <laughs> fucking version that came out recently. Mm-hmm. Um. Anyways, I mean, it's just a very solid game overall. It tells like a decent story. It hit a lot of people hard. It was critically rated high. It's hard to fucking ignore it. As you can tell by me talking about it, I'm not a person that would put it at number one on my fucking list either, but apparently I have to be the one that says like why it's our number four. <laughs> <laughs> I will the, the credit I will give is that it is very well written. The game, it is a very well written game. It is a very well acted uh, game. My pro like in, in the story was good enough to the point that um it frustrated me. The ending of it actually frustrated me, right? But you know, to kind of get through that, you got to get through a game that is okay at best. You know, then that's I guess maybe I just felt like it was overrated. Is my is my? It's not a what, bad game. What did you think of the way. winter section? Oh, uh, the winter se- the winter section was actually probably one of the best parts of the game. Yeah, that's that's pretty much like the what I understand is like the best chapter of the four chapters of that game. And it that that part of the story really ramps up and shows you like how fucked up this world really is. Right. I mean, it's it is one of one of the best parts of the game. I mean, maybe my problem is that I I'm too in tune to certain types of media, like all that stuff that they had in that game. It's like that wasn't. It wasn't unexpected to me, you know. I was like, okay, well, these guys do this, or these these people do that, or they're trying to do this or do that. I'm trying not to spoil anything, right? Um, right. So that might have been part of the problem that it's not because I, I I get it. If if the, certain parts could be very shocking, right? Could be very shocking uh, when you got when you get into it. But for me, it was kind of like okay, trope, trope, trope. <laughs> like that, that's like, but it, you know, that's. That's just me. I guess it, it, it's it, well, like I said before, these lists are are subjective. If I thought it was that bad, I wouldn't have let it in at number four. Because Lord knows, I went Mitch McConnell on Journey. So, <laughs> like, <laughs> just push it all the way down. I didn't even have to lock this one in either. This is true. This is true. So, all right. Well, let's go ahead and move into our number three game. Best Games of 2013, number three, Legend of Zelda, A Link Between Worlds. Legend of Zelda, A Link Between Worlds is a top-down action-adventure game that takes place in the same world as A Link to the Past. While there are many nods to the original game that old players will enjoy, A Link Between Worlds adds a breath of fresh air with the addition of Ravio's bracelet that turns Link to chalk, causing him to merge onto walls. A Link Between Worlds was not only a huge success due to it having the same style as A Link to the Past, but its solid gameplay, puzzles, and rental system made it one of the best Zelda games ever made. Alright, coming at number three, Legend of Zelda Link Between Worlds. Another one of those games that were good, but uh, yeah, I definitely didn't play it, so I'm going to leave this one to you guys. Man, you gotta play this game. It's amazing if you played links to the past you definitely have to play this game too it plays in the same world it's not a sequel it's like played in the same world so it has a lot of the same feel but it's like updated to today's standards and looks beautiful 
they had a whole rental system in this game too, where instead of, you know, having to do the puzzle to collect the item and then you use the item to get out of the dungeon or, you know, how Zelda games usually are, you could rent specific items and then go do dungeons at your own leisure. You don't have to like do things in specific orders, which was great, but they didn't make it super broken. Like if you died, you lost all of those items. So then you'd have to rebuy them. So then you had to think about, okay, what dungeon do I want to go to? What items do I need to get to that dungeon? And it kind of added like puzzles to the puzzles, I guess, like kind of just figuring out what you need for the journey you're about to take. Uh, they, again, game was pretty and they had those cute little, what are they called? I forget their names all the time. The little the, seashell things that cry. Oh, shoot, what are they called? The Mayas uh, or something? Something like that. I don't know, but there was a lot of them and I had to collect like oh. them. Oh, there were so many. They're so cute. And they just like, ugh, I had to collect all of them. They were adorable. But the gimmick in this game too, because of course there's a gimmick and I love gimmicks in games, is you turn into chalk into the wall and that's how you get into the other world, just like how they have um, the link to the past where you can travel to like the dark world and everything. And there's all kinds of different things in that world, too. It's almost the same world, but different. Just again, like link to the past. And that adds also puzzle elements where there's things stuck in the wall. So you have to turn into chalk and then pop out to get them out of the wall and all kinds of crazy things that you can do with that. So great game. 10 out of 10, honestly. Honestly, yeah, 10 out of 10. Great mechanic. Great items, too. And, like, normally, like, Zelda, Zelda items are pretty, like, okay, fuck, it just does this. Like, there were some really good, like, well-thought-out, like, tools in this game. Uh, I thought they used the gimmick. Zelda runs a very fine line with their gimmicks. Like, sometimes they're really cool when they're used really well. And then sometimes it kind of can bring the game down a lot of times. This gimmick is used perfectly. Like, they used great puzzles with it. They used great ways of getting around dungeons quicker if you were smart enough to figure out the the passageways in between areas. And, yeah, no, it had a good story as well. Like, it was very good Zelda story. And it the game was good. Like, it was a great 3DS game. I hope they make a, another one at some point similar to it or if not at least like maybe re-release it or some crud i don't know but like the this this zelda should not be slept on at all yeah i think a lot of uh handheld games might get passed over because they're handheld games but this is definitely one that should be picked up and i really hope i don't think that there were too many 3ds functionalities with the touch screen that would lip like prohibit it from being re-released on the switch uh, so fingers crossed for that one, but it's definitely, I guess, console worthy, but handheld still pretty good compared to console nowadays, at least. So it's it's a solid game regardless. I'll take your word for it. <laughs> Play it. No, 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 no. It's it's number three here because, the, you know, during our uh, our, our uh, phase of, you know, selecting slots, they made a very compelling argument. So. I mean, it made it. It made it above a lot of other games here. So I think it. it it's. It's. If I didn't think it deserved number three, it wouldn't be here. <laughs> so uh, I'll. I'll leave that at that. <laughs> but um, let's go ahead and move into our number two game. Best games of 2013. Number two, Bioshock Infinite. 
In a setting that is the complete opposite of Rapture, Bioshock Infinite managed to deliver not only a great game, but a great narrative that left many shocked by the end. Gameplay combined abilities, great shooting mechanics, and excellent level design that made each encounter both fun and challenging at times. Columbia was absolutely beautiful, and even after players started to peel back its facade of perfection, the presentation of its core leaves an impression. All right, coming in at number two, Bioshock Infinite, a game I definitely played and fucking loved. Absolutely top to bottom, uh, this game. I mean, it's at, the first thing you notice is it's just an absolutely gorgeous game. I don't, I haven't seen uh, something like this since this game where the internet was just lit up with, or gamer Twitter or gamer Reddit was just lit up with screenshots of the first 10 minutes of the game. Like just the first 10 minutes, like everybody and everybody did it at the same time too, because it was the same pictures. You know what I'm saying? It was the same pictures. Everybody at the same time when you, and it was mostly on, it actually, I gotta be honest, it was all on PC. Cause when you first get into Columbia, like when you launch into the air and you know, you start at the lighthouse and it's raining and it's dark and windy and you get above the clouds and then boom, there is Columbia you know, and then you're in that little church thing where they try to drown you a little bit. You know, actually, they're trying to baptize you, but it's the same thing. So they, um, they, <laughs> they you know, they, you, you're in there, you know, and th- it, that looks amazing. And then you go outside where they have those those weird statues of the founding fathers, and you're on that elevator, and you're coming down into Columbia proper now, and just screenshots of all these different areas. I'm like, yo, this game looks amazing even today like i loaded up bioshock infinite i would say probably about a year ago and it still looks really good like those set pieces still really hold up i mean it's some of the best cinematic set pieces i've ever seen and the thing about bioshock too then this is impressive you know this game the 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 scenery was complete opposite of bioshock itself you know bioshock was dark it was creepy uh, you know, things are broken. This world is all together. It's nice. And uh, yeah, like it's just, it, but it's still creepy once you start to look underneath the layers. So it's, go ahead, Mike. Yeah, it's, it's beautifully disturbing. That is the best way Absolutely. I can put it. Is It's just, it's a gorgeous thing to look at, but everything you look at has like this hint of it that just like, it's not right. Like something's off. Like, this isn't okay that it's this way, but it still looks jaw-droppingly gorgeous. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah, I had that right, yeah. uh, issue with the first Bioshock because I got it and I didn't realize what kind of game it was. And again, I'm a very atmospheric person, so that game terrified me, you know? So when you first start, like, Bioshock Infinite, you're like, wow, this game is beautiful. Like, it doesn't feel like any of that. And then the more you play, the the worse it gets and the more anxious I'm getting. I'm like, oh, my God, this is insane. Not in a bad way. I actually really enjoyed Bioshock Infinite. I enjoyed the first one, too. It was just really much for me. Um, (laughs) (laughs) Right. uh, But there's, like, what is it? The George Washington robot things that you run into. Oh, yeah. Oh, my God. I almost started crying. Like, those are so... Uh, I can't. But the thing is, like, they're creepy because, in my opinion, like, the, those those robots were creepy because they, like, not only is it, like, George Washington with a tall head and, like, you know, it has a Gatling gun and it runs at you, but it also spouts religious rhetoric at you 
as it's trying to kill you. Right. But like you know? the first time you see it, you turn around and he's right fucking there. And you're like, oh, my God. Hello. Yeah. <laughs> Welcome. Yeah. So, yeah. yeah. The motorized patriot. Yeah. That's that's what it is. Like the, the motorized patriot is what it's called. And yeah, that's why the motorized patriot is creepy. But also stuff like there's like a, a society that like, you know, worship John, not worship, but, you know, I could maybe you could call it worship but like John Wilkes Booth. Yeah, you know, you know <laughs> so it's like stuff is wrong. But then some of the other stuff in the game, for the top, for our time, it's wrong. But if you think about it, for the time like it was in the 1920s, this shit was still happening in the United States. This was par for the course, and it's fucked up, and it is creepy to us <laughs> that 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 this actually happened. It's like it, you know racism in the game, religious extremism. Like when that lady, like so, this somebody tries to kill you in the game by setting the airship on fire. By setting herself on fire in the airship, you know, and she did right before she did. She said some shit like some shit about Comstock, you know, and then and then she did it. So, like, yeah, it's it, it the game like the just the way they put that's what I mean. This game this is one of those games that took like seven years to make. They but they started working on Bioshock Infinite as soon as they finished the original Bioshock. Bioshock 2 was made by somebody else as kind of like a holdover. And it shows from start to finish, like, you know, how much care they put into this game. You know, and it still plays like Bioshock. It's I thought actually the, you know, the, well the guns and the vigors, which are now the the you know the Eve is fine, but like you know, um, go ahead, say what you're gonna say. The, ri- know the, the arm rig, the sky what's hook. it called? The oh, sky yeah. hook. Yeah. Sorry, the I was trying hook, to remember yeah. the name of it, and I was like, He's just like shoving like, his hand in the air, like like because that's how like, he hooked onto like, it. Like, <laughs> like you would just like. I thought you were trying to stab something. I'm like, who got stabbed <laughs> in the game? Well, there were plenty of people that got stabbed at the game. But go ahead. Anyways, yeah. but the skyhook, like that's what made it so different from the first Bioshock. Like that thing, holy hell, I did not think they could come up with as many combat situations as they could with just a system of, hey, just jump on this and you're just going to go wherever this railing goes. And I'm just like, well, what can we do with like how how many different situations can you really make where this becomes interesting? And I was not bored with that damn skyhook throughout the entire uh, game. Oh, no. It was so like, much it, fun. like, you know, because what I was going to kind of get into is that, you know, I do think that the the map design in this game was better than the original Bioshock, right? The original Bioshock, you kind of just, you know, it was, don't get me wrong, it's a great game and a great shooter, but this game had arenas set up in each area. That's for, for combat scenarios. And a lot of that had to do with the skyhook, but then on top of that, you still had to do, like, uh, prioritize certain enemies in certain fights because you couldn't use the skyhook if certain enemies were in the area because they would grab onto it, electrocute it, and knock you off of it. You know, so you had to like say, well, if I want to use a skyhook for the rest of this fight, I need to kill this big dude first. You know, so but yeah, no, that was that was a ton of fun. You're 100 percent right. The skyhook looks great. So, but I mean, yeah, it's just like I don't know. You you can kind of play the game how you like based on the weapons you have and the 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 powers you want to use. Right, every power that you had in that game was viable throughout the entire game. I mean, some were better in certain situations, like later in the game when you have to fight like just several motorized patriots at a time. If you weren't using like the water power, I think it was something of Neptune, I think it was called. If you weren't using that ability combined with the electricity, you were doing yourself a disservice. That was the fastest way to get rid of those motorized patriots, especially when they were multiple in one area. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I mean, there there were optimal ways, but you could still do certain. Stuff. Like I used, I I used Murder of Crows almost that entire game, especially 
after I got the traps for Murder of Crows because it, it helped with enemy management. You know, so you you didn't have to play it their way. Uh, you could kind of kind of play it the way you wanted. And then on top of that, like you know, Elizabeth and her ability to change the world around you as you're playing it, I thought that was really cool. You know, and the story just overall, I thought was good. I've, I've told the story before, but like Bioshock Infinite, when I got to the end of that game, it took me three days to figure out what actually happened. Like I finished the end of the game, I was like, man, this is a cop out. Like they just like fuck like i don't like this makes no sense and then like three days later i'm like in the shower in the morning and it just like hits me like what actually happened i'm like oh my god that was amazing (laughs) you know so yeah yeah. i was a little slow on that one it's definitely a story that lingers with you i think after you finish it for a while but it's it's one of those games that i feel like you can't play it for the first time ever again like it's one of those like you it's the surprises are kind of you see more like when you play it your second or third time through you start seeing even more little details that you might not have like been paying attention to before because you didn't know like what you were really looking for um but it's definitely like it falls in that portal aspect of like once you play it once you kind of know what you can't like repeat that experience again uh, yeah, it is. It is definitely an experience. Go ahead. Unless you're like me and you forget like literally everything every like two or three years, and then you can just go through it like you've never gone sure. through it again. Yeah. Sure. Yeah. If I played Portal today, I'd have no clue how the puzzles work. I mean, you have no clue what the. Pu- <laughs> I mean, I'm not saying I memorize every Bioshock Infinite like combat situation, but I mean the story just <laughs> wouldn't. The story doesn't hit those highs like it does in the first time. I know. If you know what I'm- I'm kidding, mostly. Oh, my bad. But there's there's a lot of times where like my bad memory just like comes in clutch where I'm like, oh, I forgot about that. And I'm like excited like I was the first time I played it. Yeah. I wish yeah. I had that problem. <laughs> yeah. No, no, I, I, I remember that game pretty detailed. It was one of my favorite games. Like of this it was one of my favorites, personal favorites of this decade. Like it was just amazing. I'm sure this game will come up again later. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I'm sure. Okay, so with that, let's go ahead and move into our number one game of 2013. Best games of 2013, number one, Grand Theft Auto Five. Grand Theft Auto Five might be one of the most ambitious and well-executed games of this decade. GTA's narrative never disappoints by keeping with the tradition of current social satire through well-written dialogue, missions, and plot. Los Santos is packed with activities, and with three completely different characters to control, there was never a dull moment. Alright, coming at number one to nobody's surprise, Grand Theft Auto V. And we're just going to end the show on that because I mean, you know, bye. you know why, bye. you know why. This game is I mean, one. is this where you put the Billie Eilish duh gif like just across <laughs> everything? Like, yeah, I, I'm sorry. Like this game is such a massive game. It was such a massive game. I mean, it took forever to load the like you could tur- you could load the game and go do something real quick. And then come back and then the game will be loaded. But while you're actually in the game, uh, you know, you uh, it doesn't load anything. You can seamlessly go from area to area, uh, you know, and the, the world was just huge. And I think it really helps the fact that, you know, you're playing three different characters. 
and all three of your characters could be in completely different areas of Los Santos, and it makes it feel even bigger. Like, you know, if all three of your characters were just in the city area, then it doesn't feel uh, as big. But, yeah, they did an excellent job. They they improved on, you know, GTA 4, everything that was in GTA 4. Uh, that was bad, at least. Like, the driving in GTA 4 was fucking horrendous. I don't know why they did that, wh- whose idea it was to make it seem like you were driving on an oil slick the entire time. Or the fact that if you hit like a ficus, you'd go through your windshield. You know, I don't know. I don't know who thought that was such a good idea, but the driving was much better, in my opinion. I mean, the driving and, was obviously an improvement, but I still felt it was not that great. If anything, I always feel like the driving is like the parts of GTA that just you think that would should work exactly how you expect them to, and they always kind of just like it just feels slightly off. You know what I mean? Uh, Driving is, I think the the only game I had a problem with driving in was GTA 4. I'm not even talking about from the original GTAs, the top-down ones. Uh, I thought the driving was fine because it's, it's, it's just a major part of the game. It is Grand Theft Auto, right? That's how you're going to get away from whatever you're you're doing at the time. But, yeah, I I, I don't know. They they have experience with cars in that studio, you know, in Rockstar. Hello, Midnight Club says how are you? <laughs> you know what I'm saying? So they can get great driving mechanics in the game. Yeah. Please um, bring back Midnight Club, by the way. Oh, God. Uh, it's time. It's time. I don't know. Back but to Grand, Grand Theft Auto 5. <laughs> Grand Theft Auto 5, yeah. Um, Not yeah, so Grand Theft Auto 5. Another improvement they made was the cover system. I thought the game, the gunplay overall was better, too. And that made the game way more enjoyable. One major, in, one big enjoyable piece for me in this game, right? was switching to Trevor. It made me nervous and happy at the same time. Because if you switch to to the other two characters, they're going to be walking around. They're going to be at their house. Something. Trevor could be anywhere. I mean, I switched to Trevor one time, and he was in his underwear on a boat in a lake out in the middle of nowhere. I switched to him another time. He was on top of a mountain sleeping next to a goat in a dress. And the thing about that, like, it's like these weird situations, and they're funny. But the thing is, like, how I have to get back to the mainland. I got it, especially the one on the mountain was kind of annoying because I had to get all the way back down the fucking mountain and find a car to steal in this remote area so I can get to where I needed to go. You know, but I, I think switching to Trevor was uh, was fun. Um, I thought the story was good, and especially like, the end game options that you have, like, which how you want to handle the end game. Uh, was actually uh, pretty cool. I mean, GTA is always good on social satire. You know, that's why I can't wait for the next one to see what it, what happens because, dude, it's just it's un, like there's so much to pick from on any side of the political spectrum, right? You know, do you go after irrational fear of immigrants or do you go after cancer? Uh, not cancer, a uh, cancel culture. You know what I'm saying? Both are viable. <laughs> What <laughs> if targets? What if you play on both sides? What if you play an extreme leftist and extreme rightist? And oh, well, that'd be. <laughs> but that, I mean, that would fit right in the GTA, like an extreme, right? Because everything in GTA is like you know, where you have like in, in GTA Five, you have those tourists that the, that that couple of side missions with those tourists who are extreme tourists, like they really they literally want to take back celebrities as trophies and stuff like that, you know? Like so, yeah, like you know, and. And actually, yeah, GTA Five had that mission that you didn't have to play. Like, in order to get this mission, it's one of the most talked about missions in the game, but you could miss it. 
where you had to do the torture on that guy who they said was a terrorist. You know, you had to like, you know, uh, uh, you had like you could hit his knees with like a wrench and you could waterboard him and all types of stuff. But that was a missable mission. Like that wasn't a main mission. You literally had to be on Trevor and pick up a phone call when you got it. And if you didn't pick up the phone call, you just wouldn't get the mission, you know. So it's, it's great. I thought the heist system was good. It made it interesting. The fact that, you know, do you want to uh, hire a more skilled person and get less of the cut? Or do you want to keep more of the cut and go with a less skilled person? I played around with that a little bit. And one mission, like I got the skilled person for inside the store, but the guy who was supposed to help with the getaway, I went with a less skilled person. I'm like, I can figure out my own way back. And I was following him, and he got fucking lost. And I just, like, bounced. I was like, okay, never mind. I'll see you later, dude. <laughs> you know, and I, and I uh, it worked out for me because I was able to get to where I needed to go, but still. And, I mean, it's just a great job. But this this game, it felt like you were, were really in a living world versus, I mean, all the other, the other GTAs, they were populated. But this world just felt, like, alive. And I, I think my most appreciate the thing I appreciate the most about this game is that you didn't have to go on dates with your friends. <laughs> <laughs> you know, you didn't have to do that. That was that was just a bad call in GTA 4. So GTA 5, thumbs up all the way around. I loved it. I will say, too, GTA 5 is just like one of those games that feels like it'll never go away. And that's not a bad thing, uh, especially after they re-released it in what year? Whatever. 2017? They added like the they first re- what, person mode they, and like. Well, for PC, what, uh, well, for PC, it was like, when did it come out for PC? Like 2015? I think because they released it in 2013, re-released it for next-gen consoles mm-hmm. in 2014. Then they released PC, yeah. I think, like after that. So Yeah, that's... And then they... Whenever the They've just been keeping up PS4. with GTA. Yeah, yeah. Like, even to this day, like, I have a lot of friends that are like, yeah, I'm going to go home and play some GTA. Like, it's just still a thing. It's almost, it's almost like an MMO where, like, people just, like, at this point, I guess it... Almost is right. You go in and you just like hang out with your friends. Yeah. Yeah, with GTA Online, like you know. So yeah, no, it's it's a great game. Totally deserving of number one for 2013. I mean, it's pretty safe that this this will be on the best games of the decade list because (laughs) it is one of the best games of the decade, hands down. There's no argument about it. So, spoiler, but yeah, I mean, like, there's no. (laughs) We'll see. We haven't done that list. We'll see where it lands, but yeah, it's most likely going to be on the list. Yes. Yeah, we haven't uh, we haven't made that list by the way, but yeah. Well, no, because we still (laughs) have other lists to make. (laughs) We we still have a couple years to get through. (laughs) Yeah, just a couple. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. And with that, that's going to wrap us up. I'd like to thank everybody for listening. We do appreciate it. You know, we're always looking for feedback. So if you have any thoughts, maybe thoughts on our list, games you think should have been included, uh, you know, you can hit us up on Discord. Like I said, discord.me slash mash those buttons. Or you can email us at contact at mashthosebuttons.com or, you know, reach out to us on Twitter at the mash network. Uh, I'd like to take the time to thank our patrons for, uh, you know, supporting the show, supporting the network. 
uh, you know, you guys help enable content like this. So thank you very much. If you enjoy our content and you want to be a supporter, you can, uh, you know, join the Mattress Buttons Patreon for as little as $1 a month and receive Patreon bonuses. And uh, the five, actually, I'm sorry, no, this, for this series, even the the dollar tier, the fan tier will receive Patreon exclusive content. Patre- uh, the fan tier for this for this series will receive honor- an honorable mentions episode for each year. So games that didn't make the top 10, but we thought still deserved, uh, you know, an honorable mention will be on that. And the uh, supporter tier will actually receive the draft episode. And that's the episode where we actually drill down from, let's say, you know, uh, 15, 20, 25 games and drill down to the top 10. So if you're, if you're on the supporter tier, you will receive that. So, uh, yeah, like I said, you can go to patreon.com slash match those buttons if you would like to help support the network. And with that, we are done for the night. Thank you guys very much for listening. We will catch you in 2014. Thanks for listening to a Mash Those Buttons production. If you enjoyed the show, you should check out MashThoseButtons.com and see if any of our other shows might interest you. All of our shows are available on your podcast platform of choice like Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, and more. If you enjoy our content, you can help support Mash Those Buttons by becoming a patron at Patreon.com slash MashThoseButtons, where you can receive Patreon bonuses for as little as $1 a month. You can connect with Mash Those Buttons at twitter.com slash the Mash Network, facebook.com slash Mash Those Buttons, or join our Discord at mash.gg slash Discord. 